welcome to Behind the Scene at NTSB. Thanks for joining us. My name is Eric Strickland, and I'm glad that you're able to uh, find us on your favorite podcasting website and uh, add us to your commute, your jog, your walk, whatever it may be. Um, I hope you started the uh, starting to play the episode before you started driving, because I don't want anyone to be a distracted driver. So please keep that in mind as you uh, as you listen to us. Uh, you can catch us. I forgot what I was going to say next. You can catch us on all the different social media. So you found us on your favorite podcasting site. Make sure to catch us on Twitter at NTSB, on Facebook at NTSB Gov, on Instagram at NTSB Gov, on LinkedIn at NTSB and on our website at ntsb.gov. So there are many ways to catch us. If you ever forget anything, just remember ntsb.gov and you can catch us there. So uh, we welcome you to stop by, comment on different posts that we have, uh, comment on the episodes, let us know what you think. Uh, if you find us on iTunes or Google Play, make sure to rate us and comment us, uh, comment on us there too. So we'd love to hear what you have to say about it. So uh, with that, again, thank you for joining us. And this week, uh, or episode, since we're not really weekly, I'm going to call it an episode. Uh, I'm happy and excited to welcome another wonderfully named individual, Eric, he, although he spells it wrong, but Eric Weiss from our media relations de- uh, department uh, to join us. And um, uh, really appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. You know, we're down the hall. It's kind of hard to ignore me. So you, at some point, you were going to have to uh, acquiesce. So uh, sooner than later, right? Well, you're almost as tall as I am, so that's how I recognize you. <laughs> it's close, yeah. You know, from a distance, that uh, whatever in the fire department was the uh, law enforcement rule about a thumb. That's about you know, that's how close they were going to get to things. But um, so, <laughs> get to, I'm watching James laugh in the corner here, and I get distracted. One of these days, podcasters, you're going to get James on the episode. He's going to say something, or he's going to laugh loud enough. You will hear it through these microphones that he puts as far away from him as possible. Uh, with that, though, I do. I always forget to thank him, but I do want to thank James for making us sound good. So I hopefully remember at the end. I, I've been forgetting to do that, so I'll get it. I, I get it started early. But back to the person that we actually have in the room that we we're trying to talk to, uh, Eric. Um, Eric, how long have you been at the NTSB? Five and a half years. Wow. Does it feel like five and a half years? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it's it's gone very very fast. Yeah. So so five and a half years, all within media relations, or yes. okay. Public Affairs Officer in Media Relations. Okay. Because when you started, it wasn't Media Relations. It was something. It was different. Office of Public Affairs. Office of Public Affairs. So essentially the same thing, just now a different title. So right. all confusing. Everyone got new business cards. That's one of the biggest changes that probably happened because of that, right? Well, this is government. <laughs> keep it keep it alive. Keep it moving. So so five and a half years. Um, so we'll talk about some of the stuff that you, you've done here at the board, but how, how did you get to... To the board. And I've been telling people, I'm calling this, what was your transportation journey, like your transportation career journey? Like, it, it's always interesting to hear about how people get to the board because we're a small federal agency in terms of federal agencies, we're, we're itty bitty. But the people that come here really, really want to be here or, you know, something really is driving them to get here. So kind of, would you mind sharing how you got here and how uh, NTSB got on your radar? Well, I've always wanted to work for the NTSB, believe yeah. it or not. Um I started off as a kid looking at airplanes and being able to call them out in the sky. And uh, uh, I've always had a, uh, an affinity for transportation. And if you follow transportation, you know about the NTSB. Mm-hmm. So it was just, uh, you know, luck that brought me here. But uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pretty good ride. Yeah. Did you ever want to be a pilot? or I mean, did you, I, I 
couches in terms of I grew up next to an airport, so I would always, you know, I could sit on my roof and watch all the planes land, and that was like the coolest thing ever. Small airport, so it didn't happen that often, but like, was that something that you wanted to do? And then you kind of found out as you got older, different different career paths you could go on that could still allow you to play with like transportation stuff? Yeah, I, I've always wanted to be a pilot, and uh, I actually took ground school. Oh, yeah? And uh, realized that being a pilot is a lot about weather and checklists and procedures and uh, doing everything right, uh, you know. And I'm not a I'm not a procedural sort of guy, <laughs> so I figured I'd spare myself and my family the uh, the agony of, of yeah. uh, an airplane crash. So, uh, not knowing the di- what's ground school versus, I guess, regular I flight school. I guess is the other version. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's everything except. Going into the in the airplane and flying, awesome. I decided not to pursue that. Uh, how long into it did you decide, or was it when you got the materials? They say buy these required books, and you're like, okay, this yeah. is this is a little more intense than I was expecting. Yeah, it was. I decided pretty early on that 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 it's not it was not a right fit. Yeah. So so you gave ground school, and so you thought, okay, I'm gonna do something else. So uh, what was next? Where did you? Well, I first started in New York in uh, working for the New York Public Library in public relations. Oh. And uh, doing exhibition publicity, and I got to meet Tom Seaver uh, and other folks from my heroes uh, at different events there. And then from there, I moved to Washington, and I worked on Capitol Hill for four years. Okay. And um, from there, I decided to jump into journalism uh, because of the good money, (laughs) and uh, did that for 15 years. So for some reason, I didn't realize that you uh, didn't start right away in journalism. So it was something you kind of, you know, worked your way your way into. Was it when you say the New York Public Library that probably helped get your your feet kind of wet within journalism a little bit? But I was um, I was thinking the New York Public Library is like one of those prestigious libraries in the country. I mean, it looks really cool. Uh, was that fun? Was that, I never, I've never met anyone that worked at a library. For, so first off, besides like I have an aunt that's a librarian, but that's about as far as it goes. Yeah, it, it was it was very interesting. Um, I got to meet uh, Woody Allen, for example. Uh, he came in to scope out uh, one of the rooms, and uh, he wouldn't say a word. And we all went around, and they asked me questions and how much does it cost? What 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 do you want to do? And uh, then everyone said everyone turned to Woody. And he just looked at me and said, it's cold in here. <laughs> and uh, that was my only interaction with Woody <laughs> Allen. Um, but uh, there were a lot of film crews going through and, yeah. and exhibitions. Uh, one uh, on uh, uh, baseball and art uh, that had Tom Seaver come in and okay. do that. And he pitched batting practice to all the reporters that covered the event. And so I went up there and I took my swings against Tom Seaver. That's really cool. He's my childhood hero. So that was really fun. So I have to guess, you know, the library is as busy at night as it is during the day because you've got people filming there all the time. I mean, so it's kind of a 24-7 operation. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very interesting. Very interesting. I did, I, mean, I did that for a year and a half and then I decided to, uh, to go to Washington and, yeah. and work, on, work in politics. I was a political science major in college. Okay, in uh, in New York, you went to school in New York. I went to school in New Jersey, Stockton oh, College okay. in New Jersey, and um, I got into a group house in Georgetown with seven people in a rundown <laughs> mansion, and I worked on the Hill for four years. Nice. Um, did you cover a specific issue while you were on the Hill? Like you know, uh, for those that don't know, they break out. You know, staffers do. You know, I'm energy, I'm transportation, I'm healthcare policy, whatever it is. Which one did you uh, 
Did well, you draw the short straw or did you get to choose? Oh, I didn't get to choose. <laughs> uh, I started out as a receptionist uh, for a congressman from Chicago, Marty Russo. And uh, that entailed opening the mail and scheduling White House tours. But I wasn't very good at it. So they kicked me up to press secretary. <laughs> and uh, uh, Hey, if you're going to fall, fall up. Right. And he, <laughs> and he <laughs> lost a, a, a bitter primary battle uh, to another Chicago politician. And um, so he left Congress, mm-hmm. and I, then I got a job with Nancy Pelosi as her press secretary. Okay. And that was really interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah. you went from Chicago to a California uh, right. member. Right, a New Jersey native. Yeah. <laughs> Is that hard? Was, I mean, did everyone be like, you're, you, know, you don't know California, how can you be you know, talking to all the, or did people just be like, hey, you know your job and worry about that, much less on the location? Yeah, it, you know, media relations, dealing with reporters and answering questions and, yeah. and um, you know, a lot of that skill is transferable. Um, but uh, with, with Pelosi, I worked also as her transportation um, LA, legislative okay. assistant, and I helped with the, um, transportation appropriations for San Francisco. Awesome. So, uh, so you were doing the the media stuff, and then you got to play a little bit of transportation, and then you decided, you know, I want to kind of go to the other side. I want to maybe be one of the journalists who's working on these issues. Yeah, that that, that was very. I've always been interested in journalism. Uh, um, I was on my school paper, and uh, it's always something I wanted to pursue. And I decided, um, you know, after that time on the Hill, you're either after four years, you're either a lifer. Or you you go, yeah. and a lot of my friends that uh, were on the hill at the time left, so I was the last one there. Um, <laughs> that group house in Georgetown was getting pretty lonely. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so I went to um, Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, and uh, you know learned how to write a story. Yeah. And then I decamped to a small town in Connecticut, Middletown, Connecticut. Wow, you're all over the place. Yes, and um, started out at a small paper there covering Middletown, and then I got to the Hartford Current, okay. um, in which uh, I was able to do some investigative projects, uh, including a five-part series on um, children and adults who die in restraints in mental hospitals and group homes. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that, I'm going to take a side tangent, like, is that an issue you'd kind of heard about, and then you started doing the story, or were things highlighted, and, and how much is a five-part series? That seems like a lot of investigation and writing it was a lot it was yeah it was a lot uh it, it started out uh a 14 year old boy died of a heart attack in um a uh a psychiatric facility nearby and you know uh actually i think he was 11 years old and 11 year olds don't usually die of heart attacks yeah so it started out as a brief in the paper and then we just kept on developing it and developing it and developing it and, and it turned out that he died when a mental health aide basically restrained him and was sitting on his back. Oh, wow. And uh, we were just curious how often this happens. And it turns out we discovered through our reporting um, that it happened, you know, hundreds of times. Wow. And we were able to, as a result of this five-part series, we were able to get some laws changed. And, uh, um, you know, that I think prevented some deaths. So uh, that was very, very... um, uh, gratifying. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, how long does a five-part series run? How long did you run it for? Like, was it like one part one day, the second part the next day, or it was five consecutive days? Wow! And then they did a reprint that had only the series yeah. that were sent to legislators and 
um, other uh, newspapers around the country. And and I know this isn't anything with transportation, but I'm fascinated. So, like, when you do something like that, and you such a, an extensive series on uh, a really important topic that uh, people really uh, can really get get behind, a lot of advocates that's there. Are you then called upon to like speak to a lot of different groups? Were you were you utilized as a resource to help change some of those laws, or is that something that you'll help provide the information and some of your reporting and all that, but you don't, as a as a reporter, investigative reporter, you kind of draw the line at trying to change the actual law, like. Well, you know, and that, that's a tight line between yeah. advocacy and and journalism. Um, I did speak to certain groups on on the topic in our investigation and what we found, and um, you know, but we stopped short of actual advocacy. Uh, we did cover the reactions mm-hmm. from federal officials and the uh, Joint Committee on Healthcare, um, and uh, you know, we, we wrote about that extensively. But uh, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult step to to then go into the advocacy world, which yeah. we, which we tried not to do. That's really cool. So, uh, so you did the five part series there, and did how long? Much longer after that, did you stick around at the Harper Current? Um, well, I, I, then I covered uh, uh, Hartford politics, okay. which, and uh, City Hall and the, the mayor at the time, and uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, is I, it is it a small town that feels like a big town or yeah it, you know it, it there's an old saying that uh you know the fights are so bitter because the stakes are so small <laughs> and uh i found that to be the case but that it was, can go for a lot of different things yes. that i'm thinking in my mind yeah but it was it was absolutely fascinating and uh the series put me on the map in terms of journalism awards and whatnot um and that's how I was able to talk my way into the Washington Post. Nice. Where I worked, uh, I worked at the Hartford Current for seven years, and then I went to the Post, and I worked there for another seven years. Okay. Uh, what issues did you cover? So the Post, so you then moved from Connecticut to back to D.C. Back to D.C. Um, this time, not in a group house. <laughs> good. Um, and uh, they started me off covering Manassas and Prince William County. Okay. And uh, you know, you have to start from the bottom and work your way up. And I did that, and then I got uh, promoted to the city desk where I covered uh, DC politics and Marion Barry, who was then on the council, mm-hmm. um, which is very fascinating, very fascinating guy. He, uh, he, we started off our relationship not on the best of terms because I, I described his suit as being wrinkled. Um, <laughs> and uh, he didn't talk to me for a couple of months and then <laughs> turned that around and took him out to Took him out to lunch, and you know it's interesting to 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 know to get to know a, a historical figure like that. Yeah. Um, and I also covered then I covered transportation. Okay. Um, and the commuting life, and public private toll roads, and uh, you know the and, and, and also NTSB. I covered um, uh, an investigation, um, uh, one of the Metro Rail accidents. Okay. And uh, so I was able to, I called up one day to get a quick answer. And uh, Mark Rosenker, then chairman, called me back and blasted Metro. And that, that made the front page. So that was a good, that was a good uh, call. It wasn't what you were looking for, but you were happy that the call happened? Yeah, very happy, very happy. <laughs> and, um, and of course, when you're covering transportation, you can't help but run into NTSB investigations and yeah. the great work that the board does. And um, this was, 
I took some time off for my first child, and then I took time off for my second child. And um, I then decided, you know, maybe journalism is not, doesn't have a really great, bright future. Sure. And I have two kids to support and uh, decided to go for the stability of the federal government. And uh, I worked for the, got a job at the Surface Transportation Board. Okay. Um, which regulates uh, the economic regulation of railroads. And I did that for a year and a half before coming to the board. And, and I I just know tangentially some of the stuff that the, the STP, the Surface Transportation Board, does. But, I mean, we get into some pretty wonky issues here, but I have a feeling that the STP is even on kind of another level of, of wonkiness because it's like the economic issues and, and schedules for rail lines and all that. I, it's probably some some very dense issues that you're trying to have to then make palatable to a, an audience that maybe doesn't want to read the you know 500 page briefing paper that goes along with yeah with some it, of that it was it was interesting I mean you know you know if you have a passion for the economic regulation of railroads um, but they did do some interesting things in terms of uh, mergers and acquisitions and rails to trails yeah um, so they, they do they do a lot of good work and, and it's only a hundred and some odd people there. Oh wow! And they're either uh, attorney. <laughs> you, you, when you came to the came to the board, you moved up. From yeah, the this SCP. is like it's like the big city. <laughs> um, but uh, it, the Surface Transportation Board during the time I was there was uh, rated the best place to work in the federal government. Oh, in the entire government, and it was a really it was a great bunch of folks. And um, you know, I had a really good time working there. Yeah. And it's interesting when Chairman Sumwalt, Robert Sumwalt, talked about getting the NTSB to be number one in, yeah. uh, in, in employee uh, best places to work. Um, you know, that's sort of interesting because yeah. I think this is one of the best places to work in government. Yeah, no, it's, uh, for those that don't know, there's a survey that happens every year, like, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you rate where you work, all those. I mean, that's the base. There's a lot of questions. I've only taken it once, so I can't remember all the questions. Uh, Stephanie, who's in the room with me, has taken it a few times, so there's a lot of questions there. But, you know, and then they, you know, crunch all that data and someone publishes a report to say that, you know, the best places to work or whatever. So we're on a, we're on a goal to goal to one. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I should probably. That sounds that. good. It sounds like, yeah, we'll call that it. But well, that's really cool. So you went from, from there to, to the board. Um, so when you joined the board, what, what the media relations folks launch on, um, on large accidents to, uh, to help out with the, all the media stuff that needs to go on there when a board member launches or large ones that may not have a board member but have high public interest so that you can help the investigator in charge, all that. What was one of the first ones that you remember launching on? I remember my first launch, uh, it was a uh, two Union Pacific uh, freight trains collided head-on in Guymon, Oklahoma, okay. which, is on, which is in the panhandle of Oklahoma. And um, I was struck by the... The, the sheer violence of those two trains colli uh, colliding. And, you know, there were just engines thrown around like toys, and the fire was still burning when we got there. Wow. And uh, it was just, it was just a, an, an amazing scene. And to see the investigators, uh, the rail investigators, just, you know, get on the ground and, and, and start documenting things and, and looking for the, um, you know, black boxes and... Yeah. and and uh, it was just a, it was really impressive, impressive yeah. display. Yeah, I can't imagine two head on, and I'm guessing they're both 
both going like one wasn't just parked and another one ran into it. You were both it. going at speed. Yeah. So that's got to be memorable for your first, uh, your first, how, how, how long after you got hired did that, like? Maybe a month. I, I didn't even have my travel card <laughs> at that time. I was afraid that I was going to get pulled back from the, from the launch, but uh, I was able to go and, and, and see the amazing work that the You still barely did. know the people you work with, much less the, anyone else here at the board. <laughs> right, but I was there in my NTSB sweat, uh, uh, um, t-shirt and everything, yeah. and it was, it was, it was, imp- it was impressive. Yeah. So, um, I. I find it interesting because not only do do media relations need to kind of know the big ones and and help out with all of that, but there any accident that um, NTSB is involved in or incident we're involved in, you normally will get a call about. And so we were at a meeting a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I guess now, and there was going through all of the different accidents that are on going you know out there, whether it's an actual launch someone there or if it's where we're collecting the data for a report or whatnot. And I I remember you had this huge document that you had that listed each media relations person and who's attached to what. I mean, so you guys are you guys have uh, go weeks. So you're on for you know 24 hours a day for that week. And and I mean, how many how many active investigations or incidences incidences incidents incidents are you kind of tracking that you sort of need to be the quote unquote expert on like. Well, the way we divide up the work is that there, there are four of us in media relations. And once a, once a month, uh, we each have a week when we're on duty. And any accident that happens in any mode during that week when you're on duty is sort of your accident. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're exposed to, you know, the largest ones to these, you know, small incidents with, with a helicopter or, yeah. or an airplane. Um, we're, there are about 1,200 um, yeah. crashes a year it, just in aviation, and, so, and we also do selected accidents in other modes. So you're able to really meet a lot of folks around the board and exposed to a lot of accidents and, and reports, and you have to be on top of things. And yeah. uh, since you are talking to the media, you have to know, you have to know, uh, you know, tell the truth. Trying uh, to get your yeah. facts all lined <laughs> yes, up and yeah. Yes. And but, uh, hold on, let me get back to you on that type of thing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause we, 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 there's no way to possibly know, uh, every, every accident incident. Yeah. So, but, but some get more traction than other others. And, um, you know, generally ones that happen in the big city in big cities or, uh, you know, where there's a, you know, heavy loss of life. Sure. Uh, those are the ones that, garner the most uh, press interest yeah so from from all the time in the five and a half years w- are there some accidents that really stand out in your mind besides the first one because it was your first one but like are there some that really stand out to you as you just were a in awe of how an accident like that could happen or some of the issues surrounding it or b also just how the uh the investigation went and maybe some of the twists and turns because because you're pretty you're pretty involved in when you're on the accident it's a large one because you need to kind of know like you said you need to know in case the media calls all the kind of things that are going on um does is there are there a few accidents that stick out or crashes well, that stick out one was um an airbus uh, a300 uh a ups uh cargo plane that crashed in birmingham alabama uh we were there and and just to see a uh, see the, the remains of a large airliner sprawled around a hill was, uh, you know, uh, an, an awesome, not in a good way, but in a, in a, in, in just 
startling. Yeah, just startling. something that big and what happens when things go wrong. It's, I mean, and stuff th- that you can't imagine. And then to follow the investigation all yeah. the way through and, and find out what happened during the approach and the many things that went wrong. You know, it's, it's rarely just one thing that goes wrong that results in an air, air crash, uh, but, you know, a whole host of things. Uh, the investigator in charge, um, Dan Bauer, talked about, uh, you know, a Swiss cheese where it ha- all, the lo- all the holes have to line up yeah. and uh, to cause an accident. And in this case, they were able to, through interviews, was, the, the crew was killed. So through, through interviews, through the cockpit voice recorder, the flight data recorder, um, they were able to piece together exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it, it served as a lesson for other pilots on, on what to do and what not to do. Yeah. How- That's an interesting one, too, because when you started, you were talking about the procedures that you have to follow for, um, for being a pilot. And interestingly enough, in that crash, procedural compliance was what um, we did a lot of work around on that investigation. Yeah, this, this is when the pilot uh, basically called an audible on, on approach and uh, didn't really keep the co-pilot, uh, you know, in, in touch with what he was doing. And the co-pilot uh, missed several call-outs and other things, and fatigue was a factor there as well. So it was just a fascinating, fascinating uh, to watch the investigators do their do their job on this on this thing, and and and, uh, and to watch it from from crash. We, 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 when we went there, the wing was literally still on fire, and they had uh, pulled the black boxes out, and they were literally black from from the fire damage <laughs> one and of the few times the black box is actually yes, black. yes as as most viewers most listeners know black boxes are actually orange <laughs> um but uh they were you know black with soot from from the from the long burning fire yeah and to watch that go through the investigation um to the public hearing and then we actually did a video about it um and sent it out to um airlines and put it up on our YouTube site so uh, more people could learn about learn the lessons of that flight. Yeah. And they can find that by searching procedural compliance is, um, is in the title of that video on YouTube. So this is a case where there was, you know, you don't know what you're going to get when you go there. And it's a, it's a huge scene that was over a large amount of area. Um, you know, all you're working on, you have all these investigators doing all these different interviews and whatnot. And there was a public hearing. Was there an investigative hearing yes. and a public hearing yes. as well? Yeah. Um, so you've got multiple hearings. So in that process, you're involved in the ground, you know, a letting everyone know that you're there media wise. Um, and then B just trying to make sure what information is there, what you can share, what you can't share. So you're working really closely with the investigator in charge on the ground there. And you keep that relationship going throughout the whole process. I'm going to guess this was probably an 18 to 18 to 24 month long, um, investigation. Yeah, it was a lengthy investigation. Generally, what, what we do, just to walk folks through it, um, you know, when, when there is an accident launch, we usually take an FAA plane to there to get there as quickly as possible. And uh, that's, uh, the plane is housed in a hangar in, at Reagan uh, National Airport. And what we do is, the first step is we hold a press conference, um, you know, at the airport to say, we're going, we're investigating, you know, keep keep in touch with us yeah. and learn more. And then we get on the plane, we, we land, and uh, we try to get a lay of the land and then start holding press conferences on a daily basis. Yeah. 
That's great. And uh, so I'm involved in in prepping the board member if the board member is launching, prepping the board member on on some of the questions he may anticipate, uh, and also handling all the media requests that yeah. are there. And and you're going to get it from all the locals, but something like that, you also have national media involved. So you're going to be dealing with a whole bunch of different individuals and personalities and requests for everybody wants their own one-on-one you know, -on -one interview. Um, and then I know uh, James will go out and, and take, uh, you don't like to call it B-roll. You like to call it um, B-roll. Okay. He really doesn't want to hear his voice on this. Um, but, you know, get that, get that secondary um, media, you know, view and stuff to get that out there. So you're doing a lot of different things in a short amount of time to try to make sure that, you know, uh, in this day and age of social media that you're not going to get caught off guard or if there's no rumors or go. But that's actually a good question, too. So when you started here, social media was sort of a thing, but not really. Has that impacted some of the work that, that you all do? I know with oh, advocacy, yeah. it's, it's something that we do a lot. But for your end, I mean, you're probably going to get questions from the media via Twitter, never actually talk to someone or, or get an email from someone like they send stuff in that way. I mean, yeah, I, I used to when I was a reporter, I was on the phone all the time yeah. and uh you know, the internet was something that was on a machine in the corner of the room at the Hartford Current. <laughs> and then at the Post... With the dot matrix printer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, at the Post, um, you know, we were involved in, in a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a um, internet uh, chat. Oh. Uh, where we took questions from commuters and folks interested in transportation. And, and we thought that was on the cutting edge of technology. But uh, we still had a daily deadline, and, and it was to make the newspaper. Yeah. Where now I, I stop asking, what's your deadline? Because the deadline is immediate. <laughs> and uh, that's how uh, – and social media, someone once said, is the, uh, the new police scanner. Yeah. In the newsroom, we used to listen to the police scanner to find out what was going on. Well, now people use Twitter to find out what's going on. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times that we use Twitter instead of a, a news release. Mm -hmm. Just to get information out there, and we live tweet during the uh, press briefings, and people could follow follow us, you know, on that. Um, also, live broadcast television has changed. Where before you would need to do lots of cabling to get a live broadcast. Now everyone has these portable packs that they can go live anywhere. Yeah. So a lot of times the um, briefing is being carried live. Uh, and that's a new phenomenon, too, that we've had to adjust to. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember hearing stories that the briefings used to be later in the days to give the investigators as long as possible to do it. But now with the changing news cycles and stuff, uh, you know, just, as you said, federal government, things are always changing. It was, it was a little work to convince people that, yeah, we should probably do the media briefing like around 4.30 or so so that you can make these new deadlines for TV because they're going to try to get you live on this, you know, shot in the local area or something like that. And so... Like small changes like that um, require investigators to wrap things up a little bit earlier so they can try to put some of their data together so that you can decide what to put out as a news release. Yeah, exactly. And in, in what we do is we generally start around 3 o'clock where um, in the old days when there was a, a, a traveling band of reporters that covered the NTSB. Um, <laughs> Wait, was there, were there beat reporters that there just were beat report traveled around that, with the NTSB? That's another, that's another thing that's changed. There were, there were beat, beat reporters... At all the major outlets that basically covered airplane crashes. Yeah, this was the time when um, you know newsroom budgets were large enough to to accommodate that, 
and um, you know, and, and frankly, planes were crashing more often. Yeah. Um, but uh, recently, in the last couple of years, there's only been about one or two beat reporters that cover aviation safety or the NTSB transportation safety. Yeah. Um, everyone is, uh, you know, covers this at ad hoc basis, or you'll have young reporters covering it for the first time and don't really know how we roll. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is make it easy as possible for them to follow the investigation and follow what we do and explain what we do. So we do a lot more of, um, you know, NTSB 101 to reporters, whereas in the old days, you know, you had these crusty veterans that knew us and knew the investigators. Um, So it's, and that presents some challenges too. Yeah. you know, it was, I have, to me, a beat reporter for the NTSB would be very interesting just because there's so many different issues. And I think that would help paint an interesting picture of transportation in the United States. Because, I mean, we talk about it internally, and I, I hope listeners that you understand it as well, that, you know, we cover so many different issues that there are lessons to be learned in aviation that can easily translate to something on a highway or that can translate to something in marine or something in the rail and the often forgotten, but very interesting pipeline. Um, you know, I think a beat reporter, if they still existed for the NTSB would really help tie some of that together as well. Cause they'll have that, you know, we have the, our side of it, but they would have how they present it and share that better with some of their, um, some of their readers or listeners if they have the you know radio or whatever it is yeah no it's a very very fascinating place and and you you can't help but uh look at it from a from a um, from a journalistic point of view yeah and you know there's so many great stories here um you know whether it's the alfaro uh where we basically went down to the ocean floor to retrieve several times uh, the the voyage data recorder and and the investigation that led and we found out exactly how those thirty three people on the ship died. Um, there are fascinating stories all over the board for yeah. for an enterprising reporter. But I mean, newsroom budgets and priorities have changed, and um, you know, and and at such an accelerated rate that a lot of these deeper in depth stories you know are not being told. Yeah. Um, from the perspective of challenges, is that, is that a challenge that you may see in trying to share the mission and the work that, that's going on here at the board is just sometimes you get the highlights and no one wants to go deeper because, I mean, we spend, we, it's important we'll do this no matter what, getting all those extra details and spending the time to really look into the safety issues from, from all of these tragedies that we'll be investigating and looking at. Is it sometimes a challenge to get someone to pick up on that and really kind of go with it or... Do you think the brand is strong enough that people will will know that this is there and take it and really want to share the whole story, not just the, you know, the two bullet points at the very top? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. The NTSB has such a great reputation in in journalistic circles and and around the country that uh, you know people do follow our our investigations, but but too often it's on the on scene portion yeah. of it for, that lasts you know a couple of days to to a week or more on larger uh, accidents, and then don't follow the process as it goes through. And what people think of at the beginning of an investigation or during the on-scene phase may be something completely different than what what the the probable cause was. Um, For example, there was an accident in uh, uh, New York State in which a... uh, plane crashed and at first everyone thought it was icing and it turned out that um, it was the pilot 
did the wrong input oh, to yeah. the stick. And uh, people still refer to that as an icing accident because that's what was the thought of reports. at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, we've seen recently in recent cases uh, where you think it's one thing and it turns out that the operator was on prescription drugs or or, um, yeah. or had sleep apnea or other issues that weren't on the radar at the very, very beginning of the crash. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of put it in your mouth, but what are, are what other challenges do you, challenges do you kind of see in sharing the, the stories of NTSB? Is there, are there challenges that you see that are out there, I should say, or is it just people are, are willing to kind of wait that 18 months? Do you think that, you know? that? That's the biggest issue is that people can't wrap their heads around, you know, the length of our investigations. Yeah. But if you read NTSB reports, the actual reports that are that are issued at the end of the investigation, you see just how much work yeah. is involved and how uh, careful we are and how exhaustive uh, the investigation is. And, you know, we really do f- try to ferret out the yeah. real probable cause of these accidents. And it, it takes time because yeah. it takes time because people are, you know, humans are working on this. And uh, we, we want to get it right. And... That's what we try to impart to journalists. Yeah, I'm. I also think about this a little bit from like a for for a journalist, either you know, print or or um, or video, or whatever it may be. We find incredible information in this, whether it's regarding the operator, or whether it's regarding the actual piece of equipment, and and we have some really smart people that take the data and turn it into interesting visuals, so that individuals like myself can kind of understand what happens. And so I think that's, I mean, I'm thinking of it from like a content need issue. We provide, we provide not just general public, but the media with some great in, uh, content that they can use to help tell the story as well. So uh, as you said, shrinking budgets, we kind of fill some of that for them so they don't have to kind of make their own thing, right? Like is that, when we do get some of that data, is that helpful with some of the um, sharing of the information? Well, there's a uh, in uh, in journalism, there's a saying, uh, you know, for a story that basically all comes together in one piece. It's, it's called "just add water," um, and uh, a lot of these NTSB reports basically have everything you need to do a great narrative uh, piece of journalism. Yeah, uh, you have drama, you have you know loss of life in some cases. Um, you know, they're very, very fascinating, fascinating cases. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, journalists are on from one story one day and then they're on the next. Yeah. And oftentimes they, they don't take advantage of what we have. But yeah. uh, when we do do a major investigation, um, you know, it, it is um, carries a lot of weight. Yeah. And I should say, you know, they have all this drama because, again, they're there's something that happened. It's the Swiss hole, the the Swiss cheese with all the holes, like all that's going on. And at the end of it, we have a really good safety report. Um, you know, yes, there was a lot that went on, but we we've tracked it down and and we've hopefully come out with answers that will prevent it from happening again. And and uh, to all of our dear reporters that are listening, I, I really hope and you uh, continue to talk to people like Eric and his his colleagues in media relations, so you can get that whole story. Don't just stop with the drama. Keep on for all of the the safety benefits that go with it, because that's that's the real important. I mean, yes, I'm biased in all of that, but that's I think one of the real important pieces about the work we do is those safety benefits. Yeah, and and we've seen this, and we we've seen the NTSB move the needle on safety whether it's um, on rail tank cars with uh, mm-hmm. the uh, DOT-111 tank cars that 
too often, um, you know, burst because of pressure and fire and cause a linked, linked explosion. Um, you know, we were able to move the needle and, and DOT has come up with a new designation, the DOT-117, which is a safer yeah. uh, car. We, we, we think, we hope we have to figure out how it operates in, in, in uh, crashes. But uh, we've seen movement on that. We've seen movement on positive train control, which is something that the board has been calling for for many years. And I, so it's gratifying to, to say, see. As the guy that handles rail issues, I didn't have to prompt you at all for any of that. <laughs> I didn't have to give him anything on that for anyone listening. Those are my things, and no one ever wants to talk about it. So I am excited that you brought those up. No, no, it's, it's <laughs> that, that, you know, it's, it's rare that you're in a position um, you know, to work with a group of folks that are basically saving lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we're seeing this in, in emerging issues as well as collision avoidance systems, um, trying to get that, get, get them implemented throughout the fleet of both, not only trucking, but private cars. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's gratifying. And, and I've been sort of lucky to, um, in my career, to have been involved in things that hopefully have saved lives. And that, that's, that's gratifying to me. That's pretty, I mean, it's, I, I can't pick a better way to try to end the episode by saying that it's just, you know, you didn't know where you were going to go and you tried different things and you learned different stuff and here you are. And now you can say that you're, you know, helping share the message to save lives and you're getting that out there. That's, I mean, I did not know most of the story that you've just shared. So that was really cool to hear your path to get here. Um, you know, is there any final besides, I mean, again, I'm going to ruin it now by talking for too long, but that was a great way. To, is there anything else that you'd like to share about you or anything? Well, it, it's <laughs> just, it's just gratifying to come here every day and, and just to see the folks who do the investigations and, and, and also folks like me who are in support of the investigation, um, you know, follow that through. And, and there's a great deal of pride here yeah. uh, in, in what we do. And it's very mission focused. And it's, it's, it's a great job. Great job. Great, great organization. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and, and talk with me and, and with Stephanie for uh, helping out and James for making us sound good. You know, all, all of us are in here just fascinated with what you had to share. And I didn't know uh, some of that. And so um, I hope that uh, someone will take that information and reach out to you to find out maybe how they can get involved uh, more with the, the NTSB or, or do something within their career to um, do something similar to as you did. Um, so if anyone has any questions for Eric, hit us up. Uh, our contact information is on the website, ntsb.gov. You can reach out to us there. Um, you can find, again, our episodes on your favorite podcast platform, or make sure just to follow us on Twitter at NTSB, and uh, we'll be tweeting that out quite a bit. Uh, speaking of Twitter and, and media relations, for those of you that don't, also make sure that you follow uh, NTSB underscore newsroom. So we, we kind of separate out the, the social media Twitter streams so that the, the, you know, the media relations folks, when they do launch on an incident or we put out all of our announcements for the investigations that we're doing, that's all kind of a separate channel. So uh, if you're interested in just keeping an eye on where we're going and what we're doing, I'd recommend following, uh, I, I think you should do it, uh, follow at NTSB underscore newsroom so that you can get the real um, nitty gritty media relations side of, of what's going on, the live updates during an investigation, uh, the live updates during um, 
most all of the uh, hearings that the board members do, um, you know, and then follow us at NTSB to get some of the policy side of things. And so uh, make sure that you get us both there. Um, so unless anyone else has any questions, I've been looking around the room, I don't see any. Um, again, thank you everyone for joining us. I again want to thank Eric um, for, for coming on. He spells it with a C, but that's okay. Um, and uh, check us out on all of our social media sites. And again, this is Behind the Scene. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you.